Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gittoth Whelan and with me, as always, we have Steve Carroll and Matt Baraku. Evening, boys. Evening. Evening. Well, we've uh, got two matches to discuss tonight and it won't be the cheeriest of podcasts, I think it's fair to say. A draw against Sheffield United and a pretty comprehensive defeat against Stoke City. I think it's fair to say the... uh, the Russell Martin era has hit uh, a couple of speed bumps since you last uh, joined us on this podcast. So we'll go back. First of all, Steve, we'll start with you with Sheffield United. The first time the Swans have played in front of a proper crowd at the Liberty for about a year and a half now. Before we get on to the match, what were your impressions of the day as a whole? I think it was just great to be back down there, really, wasn't it? I was in the railway from about five o'clock, I think, and it was quite quiet at that time, but then it livened up, uh, and then it was it was rammed, really, from about half a six onwards, so it was just great to see so many familiar faces, um, you know, everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves, and uh, I think just getting back in the ground again, there was, uh, like, a certain buzz to it, wasn't there, and um, the Adrian Believer came on, that was <laughs> obviously an enjoyable moment, um, yeah, I think it, it was just great to be back in there, it, it, from my point of view, it didn't feel... Uh, massively like the game was too important it was just about being back in there and having some normality again so yeah um just a a really good day and um i'm sure everybody enjoyed even though uh as i'm sure we'll discuss the game wasn't exactly a classic yeah i mean normality is the word there steve from my point of view i was amazed at just how normal it was arriving beforehand going to the pub chatting with people going to the match um, but then, Matt, I think it's fair to say the atmosphere in the stadium really let you know that, yeah, fans are back for good now. And it, it just felt brilliant to hear that noise again, didn't it? Yeah, the atmosphere was great. It was no doubt helped by the fact that it was a eight o'clock Saturday night kickoff. <laughs> Thank you, Sky. Um, that was uh, you know great because it, it just meant a lot of people who were already going to be buzzing for it had um, an opportunity to, uh, you know, go out in the daytime and uh, enjoy themselves, have a few drinks, as Steve said, and, um, you know, everyone got to the stadium in good spirits. Um, And it took off from there, really. You know, we've witnessed some good atmospheres down at Liberty over the years, and that was well up there. The Swansea.com stadium, I should say, sorry. Uh, Yeah, the... uh, that was up there with you know in terms of um the the feeling of uh of being back the whole occasion was just great and the um you know the the fans were you know the 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 12th man if you like in that it was really felt like we give the the team an extra gear and um it, yeah, like you say it was always going to be a special occasion but the circumstances surrounding the kickoff time and stuff as well just added that little bit extra yeah, and Steve, we were playing against Sheffield United, a newly relegated side, and I think it's fair to say, on paper, um, a much more talented side than the one that we put out. But I think it's fair to say that, at the very least, we matched Sheffield United, and I, I personally thought there were some clear steps forward there from from the opening day defeat against Blackburn. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I, I thought we were better. I mean, we, I thought we kept the ball better. There were less mistakes. We didn't really gift Sheffield United uh, a great deal of chances. I mean, they had a few, but they didn't have as many as, as we thought uh, they would, really. So, yeah, I thought there were some some good performances. Like of Ryan Manning, I thought, had a good game. I thought Flynn Downs uh, was quite good on his debut. Um, there, were, there were definitely 
positive really is uh, as you say I mean we, we had a lot of, the, of possession didn't we and then obviously that restricts the opposition in terms of um, the harm they could do for us the, the only downside was really we just did not look like scoring did we um, you know we, we're lacking a lot of creativity it'll get towards that final third and then you know we, we don't really know what to do is what it feels like and um, I think that's the, the major criticism from it but I mean, I could see from um, you know from midfield and defence, we did actually play quite well on um, on Saturday. So that that was um, quite encouraging, really. Yeah, and Matt, lack of chance creation then is something that we are going to be discussing in this podcast. And against Sheffield United, like Steve said, passed the ball around well, had the majority of the possession, but apart from one decent effort from Lowe, which he did really well to create. There wasn't much really to get excited about in the opposition third, and and we we could still be playing there today, and I don't think we would have broken down Sheffield United's back four. What do you think was missing from from that performance, to, which could have given us a couple of more chances to actually get the three points? I think it's personnel, to be honest with you. I think you know we've obviously lost a few players um, in the summer through loans and uh, expired contracts and stuff, and. Um, for me, we are we're at least three starters light. Um, there's a, a, a crying out for a number nine, someone who, you know, we we aren't looking like we're creating a great deal of chances. So those chances we do create, we need someone we know who's going to really test the keeper, not hit a you know a tame shot right down the throat of the goal. You need really someone who's going to, you know, snap up snap up those chances. Um, a ten. Desperately, again, we need a creator. We need someone there who's going to um, sit off the front man and just drop into midfield, pick the ball, look to create that space. Essentially, what um, you know, someone like Jan Danda should be, but not Jan Danda because I don't think he's up to it. Um, but absolutely, crying out for a creative midfielder there. Uh, and uh, and a ball playing centre back, you know. I'm talking really there. We're talking about the spine of the team, you know, coming through the centre of the centre of the pitch. But um, those are now uh, at top of the shopping list. I think if we can get those three in, you'll see the ball moving out from Bender um, a lot more fluidly. We look shaky at the back when it goes to the defenders who haven't covered themselves in a in a great deal of glory over the last, uh, well, certainly in the, the game against Stoke, but um, we'll come on to that in a bit. But yes, um, you know, to come through the pitch, we got to we got to be moving the ball up the field um, with more precision and more purpose. And uh, when we get at the opposition, then there's got to be a little bit more incisiveness. And I think that's where those players will come in and help. Um, it just feels like we're trying to, you know, rebuild the squad. Um, and that, that's going to take time. And this is a man Joe joined days before the start of the season. He's not had the luxury of, you know, seeing his squad first, even getting pre-season in with them. So he's doing it on the job. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough few weeks, months even, to the season before we start seeing some things come to fruition. Before we move on to discuss Stoke, um, Steve, what what did you think of Sheffield United? Because there there were high hopes for them this season, even though they, you know, came down um, pretty meekly last season. Never looked like staying up in the Premier League. You look at their squad; it's full of proven Championship players, a heck of a lot of strikers there. 
Um, and, you know, a manager in Slavish Okanovic who, who knows how to get promoted from this division. But I felt they were really, really poor against us, I'll be honest, both tactically and just in terms of, of the quality they showed on the pitch. I was really surprised. I I, I don't know if you feel that way, because I, I would have said before kickoff that a draw against Sheffield United would have would have been an excellent result. But having actually seen them play, I, I can't say I was particularly impressed by what I saw. Yeah, I don't think I was really either. I mean, they, they didn't really dominate the ball as we thought uh, they would, obviously, we, which we did quite well, to be fair. Um, like I said, they, they didn't create a great deal of chances either. I mean, it, it, some of the decisions they made were quite odd. I mean, obviously, we know Ryan Brewster quite well and he seemed to be playing on the, the wing, didn't he, on the left? And, uh, you know, I, I can't really understand the logic in that, really. Um, so that, that's sort of an example of how I think you know, possibly they were trying to get too many strikers into the team and then we're moving them out of position and it, it just it just didn't work, did it? So I, I thought they were quite poor. I mean, I they will come good, I would have thought, because I mean they'll they'll find a blend at some point. And I mean as I said last week, when you're used to losing so often, it can take a little bit of time for things to turn around. So, you know, I, I don't think I'd be too concerned if I uh, followed Sheffield United, but at the same time I'd be disappointed that you know they haven't looked better than than they have, and like I said, decisions like playing, you know, what I would describe as a prolific goal scorer on uh, the left wing, it's not really uh, going to work in my opinion. No, I agree with you. Let's move on to uh, Stoke. So uh, a decent point against Sheffield United was followed up, uh, Matt, by a pretty dispiriting. 3-1 defeat and I think it's fair to say that um, this match highlighted just how much work we've got left to do um, to, to get this team where we wanted to be because there was, uh, well, despite what Russell Martin said, there was a major gulf in quality between the two sides on Tuesday night, wasn't there? Yeah, it just didn't go well at all from start to finish. I think it also highlighted um, how a lot of our fans talk the talk, but when it comes down to it, you know, um, they're all happy and we're all happy to sit here and say, you know, new manager, new system, let's get back to the Swansea way and and, and um, we'll get there eventually. And then, you know, the first real performance of note, which showed those um, inadequacies in the in the squad and the transition of playing style, and you got people booing. And, and fucking hell, you know, it's it's embarrassing. <laughs> I'm sure you said get on um on the group chat that it was uh you had someone say Russell Martin out and I just my I just can't deal with that. I, I just think like from what we've come from over the last two years, this is you know, this is a rebuild job on on you know on a par with um with what we got we had to do with uh, Graham Potter. I mean Graham Potter had an enormous job on his hands, but he had a lot of fresh blood come into the team as well who perhaps hadn't been poisoned by the sort of football we were playing. Um Russell Martin's gotta deal with the players who who didn't have any sort of freedom in their game for the past two years. So until and and of course go back to the fact that he hasn't had a preseason as well. It's so difficult it must be impossible for him at the moment to get anything across because every day he goes into training at the moment at least there's a game in two days time so we've got to be talking tactics and the opposition straight away so it's um it was it wasn't a great game from a swan's perspective it was poor it was you know there were mistakes there wasn't 
it seemed like we got the first half of passing move, but we didn't get the move. We just seemed to be very static, particularly in the first half. Um, we had very little about us. It felt it, it felt like one of those days where it was going to test us. And um, a lot of the fans, in fairness, were, you know, encouraging or at least not vocally disapproving. But um, yeah, one or two, I think, were a bit, uh, well, very over the top. Top and, uh, and and they need to be reassessed really where we're at and what we're trying to do because um, we are going to have more days like yesterday, absolutely without doubt. Uh, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, we, we, we're not anywhere near the finished article. I, I was thinking about this and I think, you know, we, we've, we've got some treats now, I think it's fair to say, Steve, that we can see from the first three games and it'll be interesting to see if those are kind of teething problems and just part and parcel of of learning the new style or whether these are things that we're going to have to be concerned about long term but at the moment i think it's fair to say we we don't know uh, whether we can distinguish between those two at the moment because of the situation martin's in arriving just before the start of the season not having a pre-season not really having that many opportunities on the training ground to to really work on things um, intricately in the way that he would have wanted to. So it's very difficult to, to know if these are things that we're going to have to worry about long term or if they're just things that are teething problems and over the coming weeks we, we'll see them gradually improve. Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, whoever got the job in a week, less than a week before the start of the season was going to find it difficult. You know, you can't really dispute that. I mean, it's, it's been a very disjointed pre-season. We had a manager for two weeks of it, then we didn't have one. For the re- for well up until the week before the season started, we haven't done a great deal of transfer business. We've lost a few of our key men. You know we have been bringing players in, but I mean as Matt has said, we just seem to have games constantly, don't we? So I mean that that just doesn't help either. So as you say, I mean we've we've seen certain traits that that have been good, and then we didn't see particularly good ones against Stoke. Obviously we conceded from two set pieces where which were quite poor, and if we're honest, Stoke were really toying with us, weren't they, in the second half? Um, it, it wasn't good enough. We, we can't really, um, you know, paper o- over that. But at the same time, we we really got to be patient. There will be, you know, games where you know we play poorly and lose. I think that's sort of par for the course when you want to implement the style of play like this. We just really got to be patient. I think. But the good thing from my point of view is that it's happened at this stage where we've had a bit of a wake up call, and we know that we're short of players in certain positions. So that should set one or two alarm bells ringing and hopefully we'll address those issues because you know this squad does need help i mean we're we're strong in some positions but there's others where we're not strong and as we've alluded to really the lack of creativity uh is a big problem at the moment and um yeah we just i just don't see where the goals are coming from I mean, we don't know where the goals are coming from, Matt, but we're also not helping ourselves at the other end when it comes to defending, are we? I mean, we we saw against Blackburn on the opening day how we gifted them chance after chance after chance and we're lucky not to lose by more. And it was something similar against Stoke where we were the architects of our own downfall, really. You know, you're looking at the first goal, it came from a set piece, as Steve said, but that set piece was conceded after some bizarre decision-making in, in the way that we were trying to pass it around at the back. You know, back Grimes ignoring a, a wide-open player and instead passing it back to uh, Stephen Bender in his own in, in his own six-yard area, in an area where he clearly did not want the ball. 
you know, the second goal as well, just conceding it really sloppily, um, passing it to a player who was being extremely tightly marked in midfield when we had very few players back there to defend. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, I mean, Russell Martin said in his pre, um, post-match interview that fitness was an issue and, and 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 I wouldn't necessarily disagree with him because I thought we looked tired towards the end of the Sheffield United game, game as well. And it is... a but it is quite a common, you know, thing for new managers to do when they arrive at new club. They blame the old regime for for poor fitness, and it's a it's a standard practice. But even if you know it's true what he says, and, and the fitness isn't quite up to what what he wanted, fitness isn't responsible for for that kind of just poor decision making, uh, and and just needlessly putting ourselves under pressure in in the first half of matches where where it almost seems to be at its worst. You know, you can't you can't blame fitness for that, can you? No, I think I think, yeah, there's a lot of decision making that, that you know needs to be improved and that'll be that'll be, you know, taught the training ground. But also it's the execution. You know, sometimes I'm I'm all for the style that he's trying to implement. And we spoke about this, I think, on the last podcast as well, about how brave he was coming in and saying in the Blackburn, Blackburn game, no, we're going to play like this from the off. We're not going to transition into it. We're going to play like this from day one. And we saw the the um, the drawbacks of that, if you like, where, where the opposition were getting chances. But also you saw the fact that this is something, he's he's got plan A and plan A only, and that's what we're going to work on. And I think there's a lot to be you know commended for that. And in the sense of he's... he's He's stubborn in his style. And managers who have been very successful here over the last 10, 15 years have all had that trait where they would play and play some more. And if that didn't work, they'd continue to play. There was no, um, you know, you know, hoof ball in the last 10 minutes and stuff like that when you were playing with a, you know, a Rogers team or a Martinez team, you know, Loudrup team. They were very much, they had their way of playing. So, I commend Russell Martin for that way. I feel like we've got a combination at the moment of the wrong players, but also the players that could be right, not having the time on the training ground to to get Russell Martin's ideas into their head. Um, you know, five yard passes, not meeting their man, that's poor. That is poor whatever level you're playing at, you know, but you're in the championship. You should be able to I don't care if you're a six foot two centre half who's used to heading the ball. 300 times a game, you should be able to pass the ball five yards. We're seeing these sorts of issues come up um, every game at the moment where we're finding, right, okay, well, this is something that's going to have to improve because this is the way we're going to play. Um, and, and there will be question marks over certain players, rightly or wrongly, that are they able to adapt over time to a certain style of play? And are they able to embrace this and become more aligned with what Russell Martin once um, those questions will be answered through Master Martin and through the course of time, um, but uh, yeah, going back to your point, I think it's a combination of the two. Ghetto, I think it is poor decision making, um, but also poor execution of not necessarily bad decisions. Just not able to, you know, the goal we you talk about the Mark Grimes past the bender in a six-yard box. We scored one of the goals of the season a few years ago against Ipswich, where I think um, Leroy. Uh, got the ball off Nordvelt on our goal line and then we ended up with Selena scoring 20 seconds later at the other end of the pitch. If you got it right and if you got it down and nailed, then you can 
that is the sort of football, that high risk, high reward football, which can be profitable. And, you know, people have shown it is profitable over time, but it's so early on. It is a lot of risk at the moment. And there's no guarantees with these players in their current state that they can pull it off. Yeah. And Matt, the, the way I see it at the moment is that we've, Martin's done well to get us sort of comfortable, reasonably comfortable in possession and able to keep hold of possession. Um, you know, that that's something we've seen over the first three games. There's been a big difference there um, compared to the, the Cooper era. So we've got the possession and the pass completion rates vastly improved. But that, yeah. in my eyes, is the easy job. I mean, you can you can teach players of, of this standard to, you know, to, to just pass the ball back and forth in... In, you know, in their own half, the, the the difficult part then is using working out how to use that possession effectively to create chances. And I think that's what that's what's missing at the moment when we're on the front foot. Um, we we're very. I don't feel like in in uh, especially against Sheffield United and Stoke over the last week, we've not used that possession and moved that ball in a way that stretches defenses. Um, particularly well, no. that makes life uncomfortable for the for the opposition. Do you agree? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, that is something which we've in, under previous matches as well. We've had this complaint with the Swans that we are too passive. We 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 get the ball and we wait for the opposition to reset almost before we try and push forward. And um, and then it's I can't remember whether it was under. A Clement in the Premier League or something like that, where we would move the ball then across the midfield out to the wing. In the meantime, they've set a back four in the box ready to head anything away that comes in, but it seemed very passive, very stagnant. And and that was, going back to my earlier comment about us getting the first half of pass and move, uh, pretty much alludes to exactly what you said there. Um, we were all well and good passing the ball in the first half and and, and had high percentage rates of, of that and of possession. And that's that's great. And that will stand us in the world of good in the future. Um, but for now, that was um, that was part of it, where we were just passing the ball. But then when you were passing the ball, if you're just going to stand there or if you're looking at the person with the ball and you're standing there, you're the easiest player on the pitch to mark. And it was just four or five of them doing the same thing every time, passing the ball, standing there, waiting for something to happen. And I include, and, and you know, Matt, Matt, uh, on, I include Grimes. Go on. So I, I was going to say, on top of that, when the player receives the ball, the, the first instinct is always to then turn and, and look backwards, for, for my point of view. It's not, yeah. it's not as if they're, they're kind of ready to receive the ball but, on, on the half turn and ready to look forward. The the, the instinct is always to, to look backwards almost, pre, pretty much you know, all of the time, um, especially in the first half. And, and we're not used to... it. I, I think, again, it just comes down to just not being used to playing this football, really. Yeah, there was, you know, there was a lot of guilty, you know, in, incidents of that in the game. There's, it works It works hand in hand at the end of the day. You know, if a player receives a ball, and you've got movement in front of you, you've got options in front of you, you're more inclined to try and, and, and use it. But yes, there is an inclination to look. I, I can know I can put a touch on this and move it backwards and we'll keep the ball. But you, when you break, what that's one of my biggest bugbears in football is when you break the through midfield and then you take a touch and move backwards. I'm thinking, well, you've just undone that little moment, that little moment where you caught the opposition and they've got to regroup. You've allowed them to regroup. Moments are like, especially at this level, you need to you need to seize on them. But like I say, it's hand in hand. 
if a, if a Matt Grimes or, or a Flynn Downs receives the ball in the middle and they want to move it forward, that is really requiring the likes ahead of them, of Jamal Lowe, of Jan Dander, you know, to, to actually create some space, even if it means even if it means they run wide in order to pull a centre-back out of position and create a little bit of a gap for someone like Danda to run into. You know, this will obviously come with time and time on the training pitch, but at the moment, you get the ball and they just play it. They may as well be in the crowd with us because they were just standing there watching what was going on. And it was just, well, easy. It was bread and butter for Sheffield, uh, first for Stoke last night. It really was. Yeah, we. Can, I mean, I thought Stoke got their tactics spot on, but having said that, I think the way we set up it, it didn't really, you know, take a genius to work out how to, you know, how to play against us, if I'm being honest. And, um, yeah, they, they nailed it, really. Uh, Steve, one player that Matt named there is Jan Dander, a player who we've been waiting a long time to kind of make the step up and, and show his worth as a, as a regular in this first team. But he was given his first start by um, Russell Martin uh, on, on Tuesday night against Stoke. And he was taken off after 40 minutes. Now, now, Martin said that this wasn't, you know, a reflection of his performance. But, you know, we were really struggling to create anything. We hadn't created anything all match. And his tactical change is to take off the number 10, basically the creative midfielder who's meant to be, you know, fa- fa- fashioning those chances. What does that say about Danda and, and his place in, in this squad, do you think? I think Dan has got big problems. I mean, you look at the the first game where Patterson had come in the day before, and um, he started above Danda. I think alarm bells should have been ringing for him at uh, at that stage. Really, that was pretty damning. But it was the same again, really, last night, wasn't it? I mean, Danda just—he's too quiet. He goes missing. He's he's too weak. He looks like a kid playing man's football still. That's the big problem for him. And. Um, you know, we, we can't keep saying that anymore, I don't think. And um, I, I do wonder if that could be curtains for him, to be honest. So he's, he, he can do some nice things, but I just think he's better off, probably suited to a lower level than, than us, really. Um, you know, it, it was a damning move. I think the, the selection in general to, you know, we were playing Fulton, Grimes and Downs behind. I mean, let's be honest, it's a pretty cautious team, isn't it? And we were going to be very reliant on Danda. So I, I will stick up for him a little bit in that sense that, you know that that doesn't probably help, but at the same time, I mean, you quite often see space in um, in like the number ten position. The Danda would be somewhere else, and I found that quite frustrating in the yeah. first half last night. So, yeah, um, I, th- I think Danda long term probably doesn't have a future here, if I'm honest. Well, one player whose uh, time at Swan- one midfielder then whose time at Swansea came to an end uh, in pretty unpleasant fashion a couple of uh, years back. Not for the first time, Matt came back to hurt us. What is it with Sam Klukas and Swansea City? He loves it, doesn't he? I, I, I couldn't get it. I didn't hear much about, you know, you had a little bit of a grumble at him in the first half, but um, I didn't hear too much booing and jeering off him. So when he scored and he gave it to big fans in the East, and I was furious. Because, like, okay, I... I Barely acknowledged your presence on the pitch, and I didn't hear much around me. either. maybe I'm just in that in the area where it wasn't kicking off as much. But he seemed he loves it, and he he got he got. I think he got a lot of unjust stick when he left the club. I said this before, you know, it's not his fault. We paid sixteen million for him. You know, that was just us being stupid. And actually, in the time when we had a lot of people 
didn't give a fuck. <laughs> Excuse my language. Um, he was one who would run. He might not have been the most talented player, but again, not his fault that we spent the money on him. Um, he wasn't like blessed with a great deal of talent, but he would run and run and run all game. So I felt like the stick he's had previously was quite unjust, but then now, you know, he run the full length of the pitch when we played against him a couple of years ago and um and, and now he's taking the shirt off in front of these stands. So uh and to rub salt in the wound he gets an assist then from the corner um a little later on. So uh absolute mess defensively. The goal itself, his his goal was was a shambles and that was probably I know that we got two set piece goals which is alarming but that was the one that hurt me the most because he was able to just carry on walking into the area unchallenged. I mean, when you're a defender and you're backing off and backing off and you can see the penalty spot in front of you, that you really backed off too far then. And and he side foots it past Bender and it, it looked like just the easiest goal in the world. So um, he loves it. If there's a player who will come back to haunt us every time it seems to start on. And, uh, and it's not just the next player curse like we had. You know, Joe Allen scored against us for them. Wilfred Borney scored against us for them. This player won't just score against us, but he'll rub our noses in it for 15 minutes afterwards <laughs> as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just sod slow, really, isn't it? He, he's had one of those days again. Yeah, I mean, it, it is Todd Slaw. He's now scored three goals against the Swans for Stoke, which is the same amount as he scored for Swansea when he was here. £16 million, very well spent. Um, personally, I, I don't have a problem with this celebration, Steve. Do, do you? I mean, we, you, if you dish it out as a fan, you've got to expect to receive it. And even though there wasn't much last, last night um, in terms of abuse before he scored, Mainly, I think, just because the the crowd itself was just so kind of lethargic in in general, they didn't even have the energy to boo Lucas uh, until he scored against us. But you know, it, it goes back to the way he was um, the way he was viewed when he was here as a player. I think he he did get a lot of stick um, back then, especially when he left. I mean, Steve, have you got any kind of issues with with the celebration? To be honest, I don't think I have. I mean, like you say, if you dish it out and then you uh, you get it back, then it's part of the game, isn't it? We, uh, we always criticise players for being robots. So, yeah, one of those things, if it was, uh, you know, if that happened against Cardiff or something like that, it probably would be far worse. But, yeah, uh, grim. And as you say, really, he's, he's scored as many against us as for us now. It just, yeah, I mean, he took a lot of stick. Um not entirely his fault. It's not his fault we spend that type of money on him, is it? Um, you know, it was a ridiculous deal. He, if you ask him one on one privately off the record, he'd probably say himself that he was surprised at how much we paid for him. But yeah, you know, he's uh, he's done us a few times now, hasn't he? And uh, yes, yeah, I suppose it just added more misery, didn't it, to what was you know a very miserable night. It was a very miserable night. The, the one uh, silver lining, perhaps, was uh, Joel Piru's goal uh, late on. It didn't lead to anything, but uh, it was a good cross by Bidwell and uh, a good header by Piru as well. We also, uh, over the last two games, saw two players make their first-team debuts. Um, new signings, Flynn Downs and uh, Ethan Laird. Matt, um, start off with, with Downs. We've bought him for roughly a million, 1.5 million, depending on, on who you read. Um, a midfielder who came through the ranks at Ipswich and has come in and started two games now against Sheffield United and Stoke. What, what have been your early impressions of, of Downs? 
Um, I was really impressed them against um, against Sheffield United in particular. I thought he uh, he was everywhere and um, really epitomised, you know, how we we bossed that game. I know the chances perhaps weren't created, but for, not really for either team. But um, he was he was a midfield general. He was the engine in the in the middle of the park, which we which we. I didn't realise we were hacking really, and he wasn't afraid to put himself about. Um, so I was really impressed. I don't think anyone had a particularly good game last night, so it wouldn't be fair to single him out for that. Um, I think it was just one of those one of those off days against the team that will bang up for it. Um, but no, I'm really you know I'm excited. Is the players that we've brought in so far have all added something. They all look like. And I, and I include in that Joel Pirro as well, who, who looks like a handful. He, he, you know, he's scored a couple now in, in only, you know, in very limited time in in, in Swan shirt, and um, and in the, the highlights from the Reading game as well, you could see like he, he was creating a lot for himself, prepared to run at players, and um, and last night again he was um, he was putting himself about. He was a lot. We were a lot more. Um, positive with him on the pitch I think than, than the you know 40 minutes or so beforehand and um, so you know and, and then and we mentioned you know Ethan Led which we'll come up to in a minute but yeah I think signings are bedding him well and, and as with anyone any manager that comes into a club and, and looks to bring in players they always say the same thing it's got to be someone that's going to improve the squad and it's going to you know make the team the starting eleven stronger and so far so good on that front I think the players that have come in and, and made their starts have all done that. And uh, Steve, Ethan Laird came on the second half and I think it's fair to say he made a difference as well. And it, this is a position where we needed a new signing. I think Connor Roberts out for the uh, foreseeable future anyway. It'll be uh, a while yet until he's back in the team. I think to play the kind of football that Martin wants to play, you need your wing-backs to be athletic. You need them to to offer that attacking threat. And and I think we saw some real potential from from him when he came off the bench in the second half against Stoke. Yeah, I think uh, Laird was reasonably lively. I mean, he came on in bad circumstances, really, to make his debut, didn't he? So I didn't envy him in that sense. I mean, he put a great ball in late on, didn't he? Um, very late on in the game, unfortunately, there was nobody there. But... Yeah, I, I I'm quite optimistic about that signing. I'm I'm hoping now he'll play on um, on Friday night, really, because um, I, I think that would be a, a big improvement for us. As you say, we we need you know more from from the wing backs, really. And um, with Colin Roberts out, I think uh, hopefully he'll do well for us. And Steve, uh, you spoke about wing backs there. One wing back is being linked with a move away from the Swans, Jake Bidwell. Bit randomly, in my opinion, being linked with Middlesbrough, uh, potentially two point five million pound move. If you believe what you read in uh, in in stories, would you sell Bidwell? I mean, he's he's been a starter in every single. He's been a regular starter for us for the last two seasons. He started the first three games this year, set up the goal the other night against Piro, which was the only piece of real attacking quality that we saw all night. So, can we really afford to? Get rid of Bidwell at this stage of the season. Uh, I'd drive him if we're getting off of that money. I'll be honest with you. Um, <laughs> and, I, and Middlesbrough's a long way. Um, um, the greatest respect to Bidwell. I, I don't think he's good enough to play the way that Martin wants us to play. Um, I think he's unlikely to get another year's contract when it, this one expires. 
So if we get a good offer for him, and I would say two and a half million is a very good offer, then yes, I would, uh, I'd let him go. And I know we've been linked with Max Lowe as well, haven't we? So I get the impression that we're hoping maybe that a bid is going to come in for him and uh, we'll then look to make that change. But um, yeah, I, th- I think if we get a good offer, that's not something I turned down. I would go as far as to say two and a half million for him would be the greatest sale price we've had for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you were to drive him up to Middlesbrough, you could then go a little bit further and have your annual night out in Newcastle. So uh, yeah, that, well, that goes without saying, doesn't it? It would be it would be a win win from your point of view. I mean, Matt, though, I mean, in fairness, Bidwell last season, I think I'm right in saying, had more assists for us than any other player in the squad. He wasn't uh, a world beater when he arrived here, and it's probably fair to say they still no world beater. But he did play quite a significant role at times for us last season under Steve Cooper. And like I said, against Stoke, we did we did see uh, him contribute with that cross. He's not fashionable. He's not going to be one of the best players in this division. But again, are we underappreciating a player here just because he's, he's not a fashionable name? I think what, going to your original point about Jake Bidwell, he does get the assist, but I think he's a sort of player... Um, who will suit a Steve Cooper style. He'll definitely suit a Neil Warnock style. Um, so I think it would be great business for them because I, I think he's... And that's why I think we could hold out for a, a slightly more... Because they can look at his stats last season. Like you say, it's what do you have, about 12 assists or something like that? You know, he's... For for, for a left-back, I know he was playing wing-back, but for what was predominantly a left-back, he's... Um, He's got a quite quite eye-opening stats, and that's because um, he suits a certain style. You know, he he suits that style, and I don't think we're going to be playing anything like um, Cooper Ball uh, this season. As I think, if the first three games have given us anything to go by, but uh, we are going to be relying a lot on fitness and mobility. I got a feeling like our players are going to be required to exert so much more energy moving about creating space, creating chances than they were under Cooper, which is a lot more pedestrian in, in style. Um, so Bidwell is, uh, for me, he he epitomised a little bit of what we were like under Cooper. Um, we were, uh, how do I put this? Um he got the job, and he like 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 very much happened in Cooper is he'd always get the job done. Like he's not he's not a bad crosser of the ball at all, and he assisted last night, great assist. Um, and if you've got a, a position for him where you can put someone out on that left side and get the ball to him and just say whip him in the box, and that's the style you play in, then uh, he's he's gonna come up good for you because he's he's that sort of player. But is he going to, you know, does he look anything like what we've just brought in Ethan Laird on the other side? He looks completely different player to me. And I got a feeling that we're going to be looking to replicate it both sides of the pitch for balance. So, um, look, he's he's a player. He's he's limited, Jake Bidwell. I'm not going to slag him off. I'm not because he's, you know, we've had our, you know, we've had our fair share out of, out of Bidwell in terms of um, productivity. But, um, but I can certainly see him being moved on. Two and a half million would be, um, you know, a fantastic deal. I expect. I'm hoping it'll be above a million, bare minimum. Hopefully, looking about one and a half million. I, I, I would be surprised if it goes as high as the initial reported figures. But um, one, one and a half million, 
um, would free up money, especially if we get Max Lowe in on loan, which looks like you know is 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 in the pipeline potentially. Then that that frees up those sorts of funds then to um to improve elsewhere, um because that's what that's what we need to do, don't we? We need to we need as we talked earlier on about working through the spine of the team. There's there's players which we we need to be able to get in um in certain positions and. Uh, that's going to include one or two leaving. Um, and I don't think Bidwell is going to be the only player out of the starting eleven. just a hunch, who, who may well be leaving. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, from my point of view, I, I agree broadly with what the two of you have said. I've never been a massive fan of Bidwell, and I think it's fair to say that no Swansea player is ever going to say that Bidwell is, is their favourite player. You know, he's he's that kind of player. Uh, I think he's made a decent contribution after a really slow start to his time here at the Swans, but I just don't think he he, he lacks too many attributes for me. He's he's not athletic enough. Uh, he's not a, a brilliant footballer on the whole. Um, he, he puts in a good cross, decent defensively. I think I think he is a decent and reliable um, pre- um, championship quality left back. Is he any more than that? I I don't personally think so. And and if we were to swap him for for Max Low, I I and get a bit of cash in in the process, then then I think that would actually be some decent business by the Swans. Um, the um well the other player that we have been linked with um this week, Steve, it's a bit of an interesting one really. Andre Gray, who is definitely out the favourite at at Watford. Um, he's never really done it. Um, for Watford, twenty one goals in four seasons, including just five in the championship last season. Um, But he is a player who in the past, at least, has scored goals at this level. Do you think that that it would be worth going for him? You've said that you'd want a striker, but is is there an element of risk in going for a striker who's struggled so much to score goals in the last few years? Well, possibly. I mean... Yeah, like you say, he's, he's had a good track record at this level before, maybe the last couple of years ago. But the way we've got to look at it is we're not really in the market for, for proven strikers, are we? Um, or strikers that have been doing well recently. They cost a lot of money, so we might have to take a chance on somebody. And I, to be honest, I, I think it wouldn't be a bad move, especially if it was uh, on loan. Um, you know, we're not paying uh, extravagant wages or anything, so... Yeah, as as far as I'm concerned, if we wanted to do that deal, then uh, I wouldn't be against it really, because you know we're, we're not going to find necessarily what we're looking for. We might have to take a chance, but you know, in the past, Andre Gray has done well at this level, so we have to trust that maybe we can get him firing again. Yeah, what about, what about you, Matt? Uh, Andre Gray has had a lot of stick at, at Watford over the last few years. Um, last season, he he was not very popular at all among uh, Watford fans. Damaged goods, or do you really see that there is uh, a diamond there? It's somewhere um, underneath that that dust. I think this would. I think it would be a no-brainer. I mean, if this is a, if this is a loan move, and you're talking about someone who has scored goals at this level and um, has scored plenty of them in the past, and he's, um, you know, if he's available on loan, that's a low-risk move. It's it's the sort of move that is probably, as Steve said, the best we are going to be going for. We can look at someone who we know can score goals at this level, someone who has scored goals at this level previously, um, but someone who's not going to cost the earth. Um, and yeah, okay, we talk damaged goods. There's, there's question marks over in damaged goods on and off the pitch, of course. But in terms of what you can expect 
from him. I think he offers you one thing he'll offer, which we haven't got really at the moment, is he'll offer you the brain of a striker, which unfortunately in this we haven't had in about what eighteen months now at this club. Unfortunately, you've got players here who are converted into strikers and and players who are perhaps more comfortable in other positions, but we just haven't had that person who um, has got the natural instinct of a striker. Might not work. It might. You might be. You know, just washed up. But I think as a loan move, if if Russell Martin likes him and um, and we've done our due diligence and we, we're happy with it, then I've got no personal gripe against us going in for that because you know he just might need a, a you know change of scene somewhere to get his hunger back for the game and stuff. And and and, and hopefully you know if that if he do move for him, he finds that here. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time the strikers, you know, fallen hard times and then just drop down to uh, a lesser club than a, you know a, a, a less talented team and and felt got got a couple of goals and then rediscovered his um, uh, his knack for scoring. It, it definitely wouldn't be and the that first time. as well. Sorry, just quick, just quickly. So sorry on that point. Just quick point is he'll be the main man here as well, which I think is huge for strikers. To be a bit part player is sometimes going to not help strikers, but he'll know he'll be one of the first names in the team sheet just because of our limited options. And I think that sort of thing, particularly with strikers, is important. Yeah, and, and he's never really been the main man at Watford because he had Tridini before, and then, of course, um, players like João Pedro came through last season who who kept him out as well, and, and he has never been that main man really at, at Watford, has no. he? Which which is, is a good point. Let's look um, next up at the... Well, the Swans have been praised a lot for their kit this season, which does look absolutely stunning, the home kit and the away kit. The third kit, Steve, hasn't gone down quite so well, has it? It's uh, been uh, released today and it's orange. Yeah, uh, I'm not a fan. Uh, I'd rather not talk about it, to be honest, because I, I don't like it. It's annoying because I think the home kit's really nice and I think the black away one is really nice. And then they've, I, I, I think, to be honest, we don't even need a third kit. It's just a money-making ploy anyway. And it's terrible. So, yeah, can we can we move on? Quickly then, we'll we'll move on to Matt very quickly. I mean, are you going to be buying the third kit, Matt? I'm not going to buy it. It could be worse. It could be Man City's third kit, which you know is an absolute atrocity. It's just training gear, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. If you haven't, have a look at it. It's um, yeah, I've seen it. It's, it's, it's like it's like um, a it's like a pajama set you'd buy for a ten year old. That that's what the Man City kit looks like. Yeah, if you went to Turkey or somewhere like that and you went to a market stall to buy a Man City kit they definitely have those on sale <laughs> it doesn't look like a, a rip off replica that just purposely looks nothing like the actual thing um, yeah well I don't know what's going on there but yeah it, you know it's obviously you've got your white you've got your black I mean those are the two colours of the swans we've even managed to throw in a blue goalkeeper kit without too much uh, fuss from the fans so uh, in terms of the third kit as Steve said it's, it's just money you know I know the clubs don't make a great deal of money off the kits but uh, it is just a money making ploy um, not really 100% sure um, what other angle they could have gone down maybe like the green green and black but um, ultimately it has to be you know significantly different to the other kits we've got out so you know 
you don't like it, you don't buy it. We, we probably end up playing in it every away game now just to just to wind Steve up. But uh, no, apart from that, I think it's going to be be uh, it's going to be one of the ones that we've got two out of three right. So uh, so yeah, we can we can just move on. <laughs> In fairness to the club, I think they've they've had a lot of praise for their uh, kit so far this season, and they've done a really good job with the home kit. We can forgive them the fact that the third kit looks like a training kit, but um, well, we well we probably won't see them, Steve, wearing it on Friday when they take on Bristol City. That'll probably be too much of a kit clash. But um, it's going to be an interesting one, the trip to Ashton Gate. Bristol City have had a mixed start to the season, I think it's fair to say. They drew the opening game against Blackpool, uh, went away to Middlesbrough and lost 2-1. But then the other night won 3-2 away at Reading in uh, what was a, a very exciting game. And it does look like Bristol City are going to be entertaining to watch, at least this season. It's going to be very eventful. Um, even if you know we're not quite sure at which end of the table they're gonna they're gonna be quite yet. Um, I mean, is this a good game for us to be playing at the moment? Do you think? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Is the honest answer. Um, in general, our record at Ashton Gate is bad. That doesn't give me any enthusiasm. Although the only time I can remember us winning there was actually a night game, so that makes me feel a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, it's not a happy hunting ground for us. It's a derby. We will take a, a good following, obviously, and it'll be a good atmosphere. That should hopefully give us some sort of an advantage. Um, but I, I really don't know. I mean, you, you, looking at it at the moment, you just feel as if we, we don't want to play games almost. We almost want the, the manager to have more uh, time on the training ground rather than playing every few days, which is what we've got. So... Yeah, um, yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see. I, I can't say I'm massively confident, to be honest with you. Uh, Matt, what, what do you think we need to change at Bristol City to get ourselves clicking? Because, you know, there are times over the um, first three games where we've looked solid enough defensively and, and kept the ball well, but not at any point really have we looked particularly uh, impressive um, going forward, apart from the odd sporadic burst maybe against against Blackburn. So what, what needs to change, perhaps at both ends of the pitch, to, to give us the best chance of, of winning at Ashton Gate? Well, I said earlier on about, you know, Russell Martin being very um, stubborn in his style and it's commendable and I do like the fact that he's done it. He, no matter what he says in the press, he will be acutely aware of, of the need to get a win on the board um, sooner rather than later. That's not just, you know, because he'll have, you know, the board breathing down his ne- neck or anything like that, but it's also to do with the fact, the feel-good factor, the confidence of the players, the, the, the fans in the stand. I mean, the longer you go without a, a win, the less support you tend to get then from the stands, which then affect the games going forward. It's a vicious cycle, which is hard to break out of. So he'll want to get the win, make sure the fans are vocal on side. And if we can get the win in style, that'll be, um, that'll be the dream for him. Um, but I think he's going to perhaps, I mean, I've seen nothing in, on this other than my own hunch, but I think he's going to perhaps go a little bit more back to basics for the Bristol City game to try and, make sure that we give ourselves a fighting shot of winning it. And that might mean um, a little bit more um, more nonsense at the back, a little bit more uh, luck. We play it out for the back, but you make sure you get that ball to into Downs or Grimes quickly rather than um, 
stallion on it between Cabanco and Brandon Cooper, etc. Whereby um, long term, we want them to do that because we want the strikers and the midfielders to pull up the pitch and create the space in behind. But that only works if your players can then pick the holes in between them. And at the moment, we can't pick those passes. So maybe we just need to get the ball out of defence a little bit quicker at the moment into midfield and then we can build from there. Um, I got a feeling we might go a little bit back to a style which would perhaps be step stepping away from his dream but also at the same time just making sure that if Bristol City win it's because they've done it rather than us giving it to them. A um, couple of personnel changes as well. I expect we'll see Ethan Laird um, from the start because he was a bright spark, as Steve said earlier on. And um, Joel Pirro, again, he's not he's not done anything wrong when minutes he's got and he's got a couple of goals. So, I mean, that's one thing we're badly lacking. Um, and uh, and we'll take it from there. But I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, something a little bit more. Uh, a little bit less risky, if you like, at Ashton Gate. Mm. Well, I mean, it's it's an interesting one because, of course, Bristol City have conceded five goals um, so far this season. They've all they've also scored five goals, so it it seems like you know they're quite they're quite an open team, and it seems like a good team to open up against. Um, if if we do fancy trying to be a bit more expansive and try to push the pace a bit more, um, Steve, this is the first time in ten years that we failed to win any of our opening three league games. At what point do you think, you know, we've we've spoken obviously about, um, you know, fans maybe uh, being a bit hypocritical, saying that they'd um, value performances over results and then, of course, turning, um, seemingly losing patience at the first sign of um, of, of, of bad results. Um, it, well, at what point then? Does Russell Martin need um, to start getting a win to just calm the nerves a little bit and and just settle things down a bit? Because we've had three games against what Blackburn, Sheffield United, and Stoke. I'd say personally that the games coming up against Bristol City and Preston are against weaker teams. Certainly Preston than the ones we've faced. Even though I don't think any of the three teams we've faced have, have been world beaters uh, per se, and none, none that look likely to be challenging for automatic promotion. Um, you know, at what, at what point do we say, yeah, we we need a win here just to settle the nerves a bit? It's tough to say, really, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're not really at that stage yet, um, I don't think. Obviously, we could do with a win just to settle the nerves. But, you know, the, the phrase must win, which I know you hate, I don't think we're at that point. I think, you know, what I would say is that Bristol City, they're probably not a great side. Got pressed, and after that, they're really struggling. Um and then I think we've got Hull at home after the international break. I mean, if we don't win one of those three games, it would be a little bit concerning because I think we haven't faced sides that are necessarily great at that point and we haven't managed to pick, managed to pick up a win at all. So I think you just, from my point of view, just want us to get that win just because it'll quieten everybody down, really, as opposed to the fact that I'm actually worried. It's a bit like when you get you might sign a, a striker for a lot of money and he doesn't score the first couple of games. You're just thinking, like, just just get off the mark, just because it stops becoming a major talking point. Then, so I think that's what we we need really. Just just get that one win, and then you know I think that will settle us down, and we'll be a bit you know I think the fans won't panic uh, as much then. But you know the longer it goes on, the, you know the more it becomes a talking point. It's, it's fairly inevitable, really, isn't it? But um, you know we don't need to panic. We've just got to be patient. That's all. Um, and, you know, I think the time to panic might be if we haven't got a couple of win by the end of the transfer window. We haven't brought anybody in 
in forward positions because then you'd be thinking, right, well, we haven't done a great deal uh, results-wise and we haven't strengthened where we need to and then I would be concerned. But um, we're not at that stage yet, I don't think. No. Uh, and for those of you, by the way, who are um, uh, you know fearful of the Swansea City former player curse, uh, after Sam Klukas netted against us again the other night, um, Bristol City have only got one former Swansea player, I think, but it is Casey Palmer who scored against us last season. So, um, yeah, he's uh, definitely one to, to watch. He's he's getting uh, a rare, re- really, um, by his standards, run in the in the team where he does seem now to be, you know, a, a first-team regular and uh, Nigel Pearson. Um, let's finish off this part then with uh, with with a quick prediction. Matt, we'll start with you um, this time around. What, what do you think we should expect from the visit to Ashton Gate? Oh, dear. Well, I'm not even sure what um, what we can expect from the Swans. So uh, it could be it could be uh, the sort of performance that gives you hope. It could be one that makes you uh, you know watch through your fingers for for multiple reasons. But um, I think oh, you know I'm still a little bit thinking about where the goals are going to come. But I am remain positive and say we are going to. Uh, we're gonna draw this from one all. Steve, what about you? Uh, I'm not sharing that optimism, if I'm honest. Um, again, goal-wise, concerned. Don't know where they're coming from. After the way we defended the other day, that doesn't give me confidence either. Our record there is terrible. So two nil, Bristol City. Wow, this is uh, not filling me with positivity. <laughs> uh, it's hard to say, but I, I, I think we'll see goals in the game just because Bristol City are quite open at the back and, um, and, and they do have players who can, who can score at the other end. I'm going to go for a one-all draw, um, although I, I'd say Bristol City are probably the more likely of the two to win it um, if you had to put your money on either side. And it, it really could be anything, if we're being honest. I think Bristol City are quite... Difficult to predict at the moment how exactly they're going to go, but they, they'll be majorly boosted from a, a 3-2 away win uh, in midweek, even though it was against Reading, who themselves have been a bit up and down um, in the opening weeks of the season. So, um, yeah, a bit of a mixed bag in, in terms of our predictions. Let's just finish off this pod by quickly looking ahead to the League Cup match against Plymouth. Um, Steve, how seriously should we be taking this game? We we got a you know confidence boosting three goal uh, three goal win against Reading in the last round. We're playing against a team from a lower division this time around, a team which we faced in preseason just a couple of weeks back. Um, do, do we should should we be going for this seriously to try and get another confidence boosting win, or do we need to you know save our resources for um, the league match away at Preston the the weekend that follows? It's a bit of a balance, really, isn't it? I think you know a lot of the players are maybe some of them haven't had a preseason that are coming late. I mean, we want to be resting those. I would say. I mean, and then giving squad players um, a chance. I mean, I'm not against some of the first team playing, um, but yeah, I think the league is the priority, and um, you know that's the way that we, we we need to look at it. We in certain positions we've got a thin squad, so we'll have to be careful. But I mean, it'd be good to see one or two youngsters get an opportunity as well. So. Yeah, I think a bit of a mixed bag, really, is, uh, is how I would treat it. But, you know, we're at home. We'd like to think we've uh, got a good chance of winning that one, at least. 
And Matt, what what players would you like to see um, Russell Martin try out against against Plymouth? I'd like to see a lot of the, you know, that, um, like the Dan Williams and stuff and um, Carl Joseph. Um, players like this who um, have either come with some sort of pedigree, but at the same time, others who look like promise from, from the youth team. They're, there are players there that aren't just here to make up the numbers and there might be something there. I know he does spend time on the training ground, but it, it's... The, we were chatting about fitness earlier on, and I think you know the preseason games are to build up that sort of level of match fitness and match sharpness. Which we had a few called off with COVID. Obviously, we had the managerial situation. I don't know quite how much time Russell Martin will have had to really fully, you know, work with and assess everyone in his squad yet. So, I think it's a good opportunity to play while still a strong team. You know, I, I think there's a couple of youngsters who have looked promising and obviously a couple of players who haven't had a, a, a fair crack of the whip yet. Players like, I don't want to see players like Jamal Lowe. I, I, don't, I don't really want to see Jamal Lowe playing against Bristol City on the weekend, but um, I, I want to see now something different because we know what Jamal Lowe offers. We know, obviously, we're, we're struggling for goals at the moment, so let's for let's try and change it up a little bit and try and give some some of the players a chance to see if you know that they can you know work their way into the manager's plans. So with that in mind, uh, Steve, what do you think the score will be against a League One Plymouth when we face them? Uh, are they League One or League Two? Actually, I can't remember. If I, I can't actually I they remember. They are League One. They are League One, aren't they? They just they are. Um, yeah. Um, what what do you think the score will be? I'm gonna go one all and we'll win on pens. Wow, that's not that optimistic. I expected you then to say, "Oh yeah, yeah." I mean, we we played well against Reading. I'm sure we'll we'll do well against Plymouth. Uh, Matt, are, are you a bit more optimistic? He's really unhappy tonight. I don't know why. <laughs> no, I, um, I think we'll win. I think we'll win. <laughs> What's that? I was going to say that stock match has really put Steve in a bad mood tonight. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just yeah, you realism, lads, I for how, how I see yes. it. I'm not saying long term it's going to be bad. I'm just thinking short term pain. Yeah, short term pain is fair. I think that's something that um, we all said we'd accept. Listen, people, we said we'd accept it. We need to accept it. Um, yeah, short term pain, but uh, not for me. Not against Plymouth, at least. I think if we do make you know three or four changes, the players that will come in will know there's a manager there who's looking for all. Options, who's looking for answers to questions at the moment so there's an opportunity to work their way into the plan so any changes he does make will be players who will be really keen to impress the new manager so I think we could uh, we could see a repeat of the scoreline we had against Reading Would be interesting to see wouldn't it I mean Plymouth um, but by the way if you're interested have, um, have had a, a you know a bit of a mixed start to the season they've had uh, one one win one draw and uh, uh, one defeat from their opening three games in League One. Um, I I hope that we could beat Plymouth even with a couple of changes. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was a similar scoreline to when we faced them at Home Park uh, a couple of weeks back. Maybe one more goal. I'll say you know the the freedom of playing in the cup may get us um, playing with a a bit more um, bit more fluency in attack. And I'll go for a three one win for the Swans. Um, so that that may uh, even if our predictions come true against um, Bristol City and we don't 
get uh, don't get any joy there really. Uh, we may still have a cup run to look forward to anyway. Wait, well. Thank you very much for listening uh, to this podcast. Sorry that hasn't been entirely cheerful. We did warn you before the season started, this could be a bumpy road with uh, uh, Russell Martin uh, trying to change the Swans into the team that we all want, but we know uh, we are quite some far, uh, quite a distance away from it too. Actually, Dan, cut that bit out. That was awful. That was absolutely shocking. Um I'll start again. <laughs> Jesus, that was, so you, that was you, I think you've got it in your head now. Ah, oh, has got it in his head that he can't finish a podcast, and I, I, I think he's going to play this. This is something I know every time. You, you can leave this in, Dan. We've, um, we're going to redo this, but it, I do have in my head that absolutely awful of finishing off podcasts. And I'm <laughs> aware of this, by the way, if anybody's listening. If Dan has left this in, we, I know that I cannot finish off a podcast, that I am a rambling mess when it comes to the end of podcasts. So with that in, uh, in mind, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, tune in next week. Cheers. Bye. Mm-hmm.